Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a retired police lieutenant, 34 years of police service, the author of A Cop's Life, and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. On this show, you get the true blue truth about everything happening in law enforcement. We talk about news of the day uh, that is uh, uh, affecting law enforcement around the country, and you get it from a police officer's point of view. Um, we have a guest waiting for us uh, that we're going to bring in in just a moment. But very often on this show, I talk about the persecution by prosecution of law enforcement officers across the nation. And uh, this interview that we're going to have is, uh, is part of that never-ending story, it seems. So go, let's go ahead and bring in our guest. I would like to welcome to the show uh, Jimmy, uh, who is uh, an um, attorney, been an attorney for 25 years. Uh, Jimmy Thomas, he practices in both Michigan and Florida and uh, has a law enforcement background as well. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for having me. You know, we were connected by a, a client of yours, and uh, his name is Scott uh, Van Sulkema. I, and hopefully I didn't screw that up. Uh, and he is a, a police officer in a small community in Michigan, Lowell, Michigan, to be specific. And uh, he contacted me to tell me a, just a, a, an insane story that he is living right now um, in reference to what is essentially a, a free speech type of, um, of uh, issue that has affected him and caused him to actually be charged criminally. And you are his attorney. Did I, did I say it pretty much the way it is? That's pretty correct, yes. Okay, so when he was telling me the story, I, I, it, first of all, it made my blood boil because uh, of, of the, to me, incredible overreach uh, by a school system and by a police department when it comes down, basically the judicial system itself. So if you would, Jimmy, first give a little background about yourself and then let's get, let's talk about how you came to be involved in this case. A uh, little background about me, I, I graduated from a small, well, not really a small, but a medium-sized high school in Florida. I moved from Philadelphia originally and Went in the Marine Corps when uh, I was just about turning 18. Uh, when I got out, I decided that I was going to try to be law enforcement. So I went actually back to Philadelphia and I applied for the Philadelphia Police Department and Tampa at the same time. Tampa called me first. So I ended up going to Tampa and taking the job there. And I uh, put myself through college while I was working full time. I finished college in three and a half years, going to school full time, working full time. And I applied for law school and got accepted in after five years on the police department. And I went ahead and went to law school and been practicing law ever since. Uh, 25 years, mainly criminal defense, a lot of civil litigation, trial attorney type of stuff. Great. That's, so your background as a police officer 
Um, when you were contacted by Scott, uh, I imagine that that played a role in your decision to look at this case and and evaluate it. Correct. And it's like any other case. So you, you have to look at the facts and you have to put the facts with the crime to see whether they match up correctly or not and to see whether they have a real crime or whether it's something that they they propagated through through fiat. And in this case, that's exactly what I think they've done here. They, they've made a political martyr out of uh, my client. Let's talk about the facts. Um, how uh, what he what he did and what uh, has been the ramifications of of uh, of his actions. Well, his daughter actually attends that high school where his daughter actually attends high school there, and he actually attended the same high school where he graduated from the same high school his daughter goes. So he knows some of the teachers there that are still practicing education. Uh, he even visited one the day that he got trespassed. And what had happened was he was there initially for a sorry, I have some clients that's calling me to put it on not disturb. So he went there to petition with the, with a group of people and was holding a Gadsden flag and was, was uh, peacefully demonstrating and saying that mask mandates are unlawful. And basically they, uh, you know, they, they had their time out there. And after that, at some point, they, they left and everything was fine. There was no, nothing that was outrageous. Nothing that actually happened. Wait, let me stop. And, let me stop you there for a minute, Jimmy, because I want to, I want the the listeners and the and the audience to get to understand this. So he is he is a uh, Scott is a police officer in this community. This same community where he attended high school and where his daughter now attends high school, correct? Did I get that right? So the so Scott is a police officer in the community that he grew up. He went to high school at this high school in Lowell. His daughter now goes to the high school. Well, and it's actually, it's actually uh, Forest Hill Central, which is not in Lowell, it's actually in Ada. He, he, he's an officer in Lowell. Okay, so he is, he is an officer in another jurisdiction. In, in an off-duty capacity, he, along with other parents, were peacefully protesting the mask mandate at this high school. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so he goes to the high school with how many other parents were involved in this? Uh, I don't know. Probably, probably between 30 and 50. And it was a peaceful protest. There was... I mean, if you would describe that quote protest. Basically, the people that were there were, you know, were have been upset because the mask mandates have been in place for so long, and uh, they're not even implemented by the health of, health department in in, in that county. Uh, they are mandated by the superintendent and the board of education, who promulgated a mask mandate through through vague statutes that don't give any authority to implement a medical device and so they were petitioning this long drawn out usage of this of the statute 
to implement the mask mandate. So they were petitioning against it, saying that they wanted uh, the school, the superintendent, the board, and everybody to to redact or retract it and to take it out. And so their mark was was one based on the science isn't there for them to wear the mask mandate, as, as you probably are aware. Uh, wearing a mask uh, does not does not uh, protect your eyes and your ears where, you know, COVID is an aerosol type of virus and you can catch it just as easily through your eyes or your ears. And, and so anyway, they were petitioning peacefully and, you know, everybody left after the, after the rally was over. Okay. Your constitutional right as an American to, Absolutely. to protest. Okay. So what happened after, after the protest? Well, at some point after the protests, uh, I want to say probably eight days later, uh, my client went back up to the school because they were supposed to have virtual meetings with, with uh, teachers and conferences. And three of the teachers were not available through, through virtual. So my client decided to go up there to talk to the teachers about his daughter after hours. So he made an appointment with these teachers or they knew he was coming to have a discussion with them about his daughter? I don't think that they knew he was coming. I think that just made time after he got off, you know, after work or on his day off possibly and decided that he was just going to go up to the school and and uh, after after hours, after school was let out and, and go and see, try to catch the teachers before they left to go home. Okay. And what happened then? Well, he entered the uh, the building and uh, walked in. Uh, there is a there is a sign out front that says that you have to check in during hours, and and so he he didn't bother to check in. He's a law enforcement officer, so he didn't figure there would be a problem. So he walked in, and actually the security guard of the school actually knows him, and was actually walking around the school with him, saying, "You know, I'm I'm here to see the teachers." For my daughter, he didn't escort him out. And did he did he wind up having a meeting with the teachers? He did. He met with three of his daughter's <clears throat> teachers, and then he actually met with one of his old teachers that was that was there still when he was finished with his uh, conferences, and he ended up talking to that teacher for a little bit in a, in a social way. Correct, and so. You know, if there's a policy in place for for somebody to have a, a tag or a badge to walk around the school, the security guard and four teachers didn't enforce it. They they didn't bother him to say, "Hey, you need to go down to the office and get a tag. You don't belong here." None of them did that. They simply had a conversation about his daughter, and after he did the three conferences with the three teachers, he went and saw his other teacher had a social engagement, and then uh, he left the school. And then what happened? Well, at some point after that, Mike, you know, they, they issued him a trespass warning. And it was it was probably weeks after that, that that actually happened. And so he was given a trespass warrant, you know, issued on him because he was there and he didn't get permission to be on the property, but it was after hours. So after he was given that trespass warning, he he ended up being back on the property to pick his, his daughter up from school because there's no busing there. So 
So because there's no busing, somebody has to pick up, she's not old enough to drive, so somebody has to pick her up from school because there is no busing uh, currently at, at that school. So he goes to pick up his daughter, a pretty reasonable thing to do, and then what happens? Well, apparently there is a, where, where you exit the, the school, there is a, a kind of, uh, I don't know, it kind of goes into a, a neck, a bottleneck. And he ended up driving up a little bit onto the sidewalk to, to uh, make a turn, to make a, a right turn out of the, out of the school because there's a left and right turn and there's not enough room for both vehicles to go left and right at the same time. So he kind of just drove up a little bit onto the, uh, onto the curve, which is not a curve curve. It's, it's like a sidewalk, but it's not very, it's, it's, it's very short, like just a couple of inches. It's not like a regular curve. And he drove up over that and made his right turn and left. Okay. That sounds so, pretty reasonable. So about eight weeks later, apparently they had video of the car from about two to 300 yards away from the school. Uh, the police officer who did not see him make that infraction, you want to call it that, for driving over the sidewalk, uh, saw it on videotape, and then he ended up issuing him a citation for that. And then charged him with trespassing he wasn't supposed to be at the school. So eight weeks later, he gets a traffic ticket and and charged with trespassing. Right. Something that the officer didn't witness either. All right. This this was already sounding bizarre. Um, but it gets more bizarre, does it not? Well, it's not that it gets more bizarre, but I mean, obviously, you know, there, the, the complaints came in from from other people to his chief of police who ended up getting enough pressure on him and from the media to put him on administrative leave. And then they ordered him to bring all his equipment and turn it in. So <laughs> he gets he gets charged criminally with trespassing. He gets charged with a traffic offense and then he gets put on administrative leave and and forced to turn in his gun and badge and and equipment is that what i'm hearing right now he's been an employee there for 17 years he's actually second in command there's only five officers but he's a sergeant underneath the chief of police my first the my my first instinctual thought is why in god's name would the chief of police allow pressure to to uh, take place where he would suspend him for this this idiocy I have no idea I don't know the chief of police I don't know anything about him don't know, don't even know what his name is and the second thing who's pushing a prosecution of something as nonsensical as this well apparently you know we have an elected state attorney in, in our county so I would think that this was probably reviewed by the upper echelon of the of the department to, to see if they were even able to prosecute or not. So I'm sure it's coming down from the top. So what is your feeling? So you are the defense attorney. Where where, where is this now going? 
Well, I mean, obviously, my client has no intention of pleading guilty to any of these charges, and we've pled not guilty, and we're going to let it play out in court. So meanwhile, his life is disrupted because of this. Do you think that the only reason they're doing this is because he's a cop? No, I think that it has a lot to do probably with the fact that he was there doing, uh, you know, doing his peaceful pro protest, holding the Gatson flag, don't tread on me. That's what the Gatson flag is, don't tread on me. Sure. So he was holding that I think that that probably had more, you know, more to do with it than him being a police officer. So would, would you not term this a political prosecution? I definitely think there's some political ties to it, absolutely. Was any other parents charged with anything as in related to, related to this? Well, I don't think that there's any other parent that that I'm aware of that went to the school to go see teachers. Uh, I think that this all began because of the fact that he went to go to the, to, to the school and didn't get a a pass, a hall pass, or whatever you want to call it from. The administrative building to, to be able to walk around inside the school. So, okay, then uh, this is going, so you're right in the midst of this now. Um, when do you think that this will, so there's going to be a trial on this? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's a couple things that can happen in this case. One, they could, uh, they could, you know, obviously they can negotiate and, and make some kind of offer that my client would be willing to accept. I don't think it's going to be criminal. If, if, it, if it's something criminal, he's not going to accept any of it. But, uh, for instance, if they if they dropped the trespassing charge and, and kept it a civil infraction or something like that, that might be a possibility to resolve the case. But other than that, I don't think he's willing to resolve the case with with the circumstances as they are right now. Oh, and meanwhile, he's 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 not working. So how does that issue resolve? Because now you have an administrative issue, um, internal a internal issue with the, with the police department as well. How does that resolve? Well, he's on administrative leave. And from my understanding, you have a due process right to have a hearing before you're actually let go. And that that you know with any union that you're involved with the police you, you can't just let somebody go without without a due process hearing especially on uh, a technicality of a, of a criminal charge so with that being said administratively uh he's on administrative leave with pay i i believe uh, i don't believe that they have yet to tell him that you're on unpaid leave uh if they do that then then that would invoke his right to have a hearing uh, for due process. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna stay with this. Um, to me, this is a this is a gross miscarriage of not just the criminal justice system, but also um, the uh, the the internal system of the police department itself. So this is just uh, another aspect of what we're seeing nationwide, where law enforcement officers are being uh, are being victimized by the same criminal justice system that they have served. And uh, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Do you know when uh, this is going to trial? No, they're, they're, they're really backlogged at this point because of the COVID and all that. They've, they've, uh, they've gone back to Zoom court and uh, trials have been set out for months. 
and I know that there's a backlog of, of trials that are out there. I have another case that's a year and a half old that we're set for trial in June. So I know it ain't going to be before June. Wow. Meanwhile, his life is on hold as well. Well, Jimmy, thank you for uh, coming on the show today and explaining this situation uh, to me. This is just such a miscarriage of justice, but uh, I'm glad that you're, uh, you're in the fight with him. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All right, great. We'll follow up back with you after uh, this takes another move forward. So thanks again, uh, Jimmy uh, from uh, Michigan and Jimmy Thomas Law, and uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate you having me on, man. My pleasure. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Dr. Vladimir Zelenko knows a thing or two about the immune system. He was nominated for a Nobel Prize for his early COVID-19 treatments, and now he's offering his Z-Stack supplements to our listeners at a discount. Just go to zstacklife.com slash freedom. That's zstacklife.com slash freedom. Invincible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both in the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. Another persecution by prosecution. Now, You've, you've heard me talk about this this topic many times over the the you know the years. Uh, if you if you listen to this show on iHeartRadio or AmericaOutloud.com, you've been hearing me for over five years uh, on on law enforcement topics. And unfortunately, this one this is a topic that keeps on uh, just coming up over and over again. Um, so let's let's start. Let's go into the into uh, what's been happening around law enforcement in the news 
And uh, I think that one of the things that I really want to bring up is how politics are playing such an incredible role in the failure of the criminal justice system. Because we are seeing crime uh, skyrocketing continually. There is no end in sight to the surge, I call it the tsunami, of violent crime across America. Uh, we're seeing it in New York, where they just had a, a, an incredible uh, surge in shootings. We're seeing it in um, Portland. We're seeing it in Missouri. It, it seems like it's, it's all over. Now, why? You know, crime affects every aspect of America. And when people don't feel safe, they, uh, they, they suffer all kinds of, of maladies, both uh, uh, psychologically, and then, you know, um, they, they worry about their, their families, they worry about themselves. So uh, there's a, a story that came out, which I think is, is very um, illustrative of the of the incredible uh, poor politics when it comes down to uh, law enforcement and public safety. This is um, uh, a story that came out from the Daily Mail. Amazon will move 1,800 workers from downtown Seattle offices because of rampant crime in Woke Bastion, where City Council has cut police budget by $36 million since 2019. Amazon announced that it will relocate office staff in downtown Seattle. The uh, 3rd Avenue and Pine Street location employs 1,800 people. The city's violent crime spiked on March 2nd when 15-year-old Michael DeBianco was shot and killed right in front of the, the headquarters. Violent crime has plagued downtown Seattle for months. Recent incidents including multiple shootings, assaults, and carjackings. In December, the Seattle City Council approved a 2022 budget that cut police department spending by more than $7 million. Seven or several businesses have also closed, citing safety concerns, including Kumolo, a cloud technology firm, a bakery, and McDonald's. Now, Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell's office said in a statement that the mayor is, quote, working every day to make downtown a safe and thriving neighborhood for residents, workers, and businesses. Really? Well, I would have to say, Mayor, that you are failing, just as your predecessors failed, just as the city council has failed. The irrational response of cutting law enforcement funding that has occurred in major cities across America in the wake of the George Floyd incident is demonstrative of the inept leadership in, in what is unfortunately uh, mostly democratically controlled cities. Now, law enforcement should not be relegated to a D or an R behind the names of those who are elected when it comes down to the public safety. 
This is a universal issue. So why is it that a city like Seattle, which has just seen a, a, a skyrocketing crime rate that, that where violent crime has just uh, um, literally affected the city so demonstrably, why is it that, that the leadership is so tone deaf, so blind, is it because they are so incredibly inept or because they have they have taken an indoctrination from the woke left and and every part of their being um, does not allow them to concern themselves with the true issues of law enforcement in and and public safety in their city, which is holding criminals accountable. What happened to that concept? of holding criminals accountable. How many, is Seattle going to become a ghost town because the streets are so, uh, so rampant with crime? Is that what the leadership um, is telling the people? And why is it, Seattle, that you continue to vote people into office with a radical agenda of defunding the police. It, it clearly hasn't worked, has it? It isn't in your best interest, is it? Then when is America going to wake up? Where are the people who vote for the individuals as leaders, when are they going to wake up? When are you going to wake up, Seattle, and realize that your very lives both economically and safety-wise, are in jeopardy from your leadership. It's time to stand up and, uh, and, and, and become an activist yourself, um, not against the police, but for law enforcement. Because the only people that are standing in the way of total anarchy are the men and women who are serving behind the badge in Seattle. So that's... This, I think that, that Amazon making that move should be a major wake-up call for the people of Seattle. But this is happening all over, all over the nation. Oakland, officers leaving, this is from a, a News 4 story, K-R-O-N 4 in Oakland. Officers leaving Oakland Police Department in record numbers. The police union blames the lack of support from the Oakland City Council as one of the primary reasons. Now, of course, the City Council president disputes that characterization and their support for the Oklahoma police. According to Oklahoma Police Officers Association, 86 cops, 86 cops parted ways with the department in 2021. 22 left law enforcement altogether, 27 retired. The majority left OPD to work for other police agencies. That's very telling, is it not? The officer, Officer Barry Donilon of the union said, I am just pleading for the city council president and her colleagues to turn the ship around because at some point we will get to a situation where there aren't any Oakland cops at the speed that we are losing them. The president of the police union has outlined in this letter to the city council president 
A few immediate fixes, he says, the city council can take to stop the officers from walking out of the door. Quote, just stop the rhetoric. It costs nothing. Don't blame Oakland police officers for everything that ills Oakland. That's what we see from the council on a regular basis. Second of all, the talk about us stop taking mental health calls for a year and a half now. Let's do it. Implement it. Um, make macro happen. Send those calls to the fire department. Finally, engage with us. This is the first correspondence that I received from the city council president. She's been there for three years. Unquote. Now, here's what the city council president said in relation to this accusation. Quote, I did receive that letter. I have to say I'm deeply offended because I have said publicly that I deeply value the sacrifices and commitment of the men and women who serve on the Oakland Police Department, unquote. Empty words, empty words. And this is another stark example of the leadership failures in another city. I, rhetorically, uh, these city council members are consistently and constantly literally blaming the ills of Oakland on the police. And at what point do they think that the officers are just going to continue to take it oh, for year after year after year? Now they are seeing the consequences of these actions. And the people who really feel it are the people who live in Oakland and who work in Oakland. I actually had a conversation uh, just about a week ago with uh, a woman who lives in the city of Oakland. She now has a bunker mentality. There are, she and her friends are afraid to leave their homes. In fact, they don't even feel secure in their homes because of the number of, uh, of uh, offenses that are actually taking place, such as home invasions, carjackings. You can literally never leave anything visible in your car because it will be broken into. That, there's, there's not even a shadow of a doubt about that. And this is not the failure of the police. This is the failure of the leadership of the city of Oakland. They are another defund the police. Well, how's that working out for you, Oakland? And once again, I have to say this. When are the people of Oakland going to stand up? Stand up for themselves. Stand up for their families and say enough is enough. This is what it's going to take across America. That the people who are being victimized... Not just by the criminal, but by the very people that they elected. It's going to take activism. It's going to take um, stepping forward and no longer being silent. It's time for the silent majority to break the silence. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the word of the day. Break the silence. Stand up. Get active with your community and join with the police instead of defunding them. But that's not, but that's not, it, it's not just happening 
in isolated cities. It's happening all over. And, and not just defunding. There's also, the, there has been an incredible surge in police agencies uh, developing policies that are anti-law enforcement, which is mind-boggling. The whole purpose, okay, you're a law enforcement officer. That's the title, right? Why would a police agency tell their cops, we don't really want you to enforce the laws, but that's exactly what's happening in several cities. This just happened. It, so Philadelphia is seeing an absolute um, tsunami of crime. It, the, the violent crime rate has gone through the roof there. Murders, carjackings, uh, uh, home invasions, sexual assaults. It is out of control. Out of control. So what does, it, what does Philadelphia do in order to cope with this? Well, they hired a police commissioner who uh, was an absolute failure in every one of her previous jobs, Danielle Outlaw. She used to be with Oakland. Well, I see why she left. Uh, but then she, she uh, has taken several chief jobs uh, of absolutely no, uh, no help at all to, to uh, combat crime. But she keeps on getting promoted and, and given new jobs with lots more money. So now she's the police commissioner in the city of Philadelphia. Um, she's, she's they, in fact, her, her nickname uh, when she was with, um, um, with the, what her, her last agency was MIA, uh, Missing in Action. <laughs> because she was never never around when uh, when she was needed, so now she's she's making you know somewhere around three hundred thousand dollars a year as the police commissioner, and you never even hear about her or see her, even though it is it is a war zone and bodies are stacking up in Philadelphia. Now the other part of that problem is that they have a Soros-funded uh, district attorney, Larry Krasner, who is. Part of the problem, not the solution. He is another activist prosecutor, a one who does not want to um, uh, put bad guys in jail. He would much rather go after police officers. That's that seems to be all the rage these days. Is uh, don't worry about the criminal. We don't want to prosecute them. We just want to make things more advantageous for the criminal instead of holding them accountable. So you got Krasner as part of the problem. You got Daniel Outlaw, an incompetent who is who is in charge of the agency, although you, she's she is you never see her. But now it's gotten even worse. This is from the Daily Wire. City of Philadelphia hobbles police with dangerous new ordinance. It is mind-boggling. So, last year, Philadelphia City Council passed an ordinance called, you'll like this, Achieving Driving Equality. The bill signed into law in October and going into effect earlier this month 
prohibits the Philadelphia Police Department from stopping drivers who are violating certain aspects of the Pennsylvania Vehicle Code. In other words, the law. Unfortunately, the ordinance ignores common sense, stops the police department from enforcing the duly enacted laws of Pennsylvania, and disregards established precedent from the United States Supreme Court. In short, the city has joined the Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner in fostering disorder and lawlessness in the city of brotherly love. To understand the ordinance, it's important to review why vehicle codes exist. In Pennsylvania, drivers must register their cars, get them inspected regularly. Drivers must display their license plates on their cars so they can be identified, maintain working lights, and operate vehicles with bumpers. All right, that's pretty much common around America, isn't it? Nobody wants a defective car with no lights and no identification crashing through the streets of Philadelphia. Moreover, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously held that if police observe an actual vehicle code violation, they can stop the driver, even if the police are using the stop to check for other criminal conduct as well. Of course, the police are not allowed to pull over someone based on their race, age, or other protected status. But under the newly enacted ordinance, the city forbids the police from stopping a vehicle for an expired registration, for a light being out, for a license plate not being secured to the vehicle, for a bumper violation, for having materials that obstruct views of the, of the out, outside from the car, front side or rear view mirrors. <coughs> Philadelphia Democratic Majority City Council Mayor Jim Kenney and the Public Defender's Office, which helped craft the bill, of course, cited the bill's purpose was to stop an allegedly disproportionate number of minority drivers from being pulled over for such infractions. Now Philadelphia is the first major city to adopt a blanket ban on such offenses. That's actually not true. Um, the, the, the Los Angeles Police Department recently um, issued a policy of a, almost exactly the same. Other police agencies and cities are enacting similar, sim similar policies and laws. So in essence, the term law enforcement doesn't really enter into the equation any longer. Because if you tell a cop, you can't enforce that law based on our belief that too many minorities are being stopped. So what does that mean in, in, in reality? All right, I'm a police officer in, uh, in a neighborhood in Philadelphia that is predominantly, um, the residents there are predominantly minority residents. Because I'm making car stops there, they are now saying, I must be doing that because of racial inequality. That is a, that is a, a stark um, uh, misconception because it is simply a matter of who's driving around. Do you not want the police to make sure that a vehicle is properly um, 
maintained so that it won't it, it won't lose its brakes when 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 your family is in the intersection do you really believe that uh well let me let me point out something that i've pointed out before about license plates right they call this a minor violation so you're driving around you don't even have a license plate on your car now according to this ordinance police can't do anything about that they can't even stop you if you will remember one of the worst terrorist attacks in american history was the attack on the oklahoma courthouse timothy mcveigh was the killer of so many people the only way that timothy mcveigh <coughs> was apprehended was because a police officer saw that he was driving without a license plate made a car stop because of that and turned out to be the the bomber of the oklahoma city courthouse this is called proactive policing to end proactive policing means to make your life less safe and that is that is the goal of the larry krasners of the world of the city council of philadelphia and oakland that is the goal to devour the criminal justice system from within from the same government that is supposed to protect you and your family they are completely um abrogating abdicating excuse me their um their legitimate roles of of public safety and no one's holding them accountable once again no accountability for the criminal for committing the crime because of the larry krasners of the world and now no account no not even a uh, uh a threat of being held of being discovered committing a crime by ordinances like this all in the name of racial equality it is madness madness now this is kind of interesting during all of the insanity that's taken place after george floyd the state of washington enacted the most ludicrous anti-law enforcement laws in the country literally literally telling the police that they couldn't they, they there was no way to do police work they enacted some of the most bizarre laws including outlawing shotguns for the police shotgun is one of the most effective police weapons that exists but in their zeal to hamstring any law enforcement they enacted a law that said no weapons of more than a certain caliber what they were trying to do was outlaw low lethality ammunition which of course makes zero sense to begin with but in there because they they did they they did this uh, slate of laws so quickly that it actually 
determined, it was actually determined that the police couldn't do their job. So now, that's because they never even bothered asking the police about, about, these, about these radical new laws they were enacting to protect the people from the police, of course. But now, this headline came out just a few days ago. This is from the Associated Press. Washington governor signs rollback of police reform bill. The move clarifies use of force protocols after police officials said the sweeping reforms hindered crime response. It's exactly what happened. So Washington Governor Jay Inslee, oh, he's a sweetheart, signed a bill rolling back part of the state's sweeping police reform legislation. I'm using quotes in police reform. From last year, after law enforcement, key Democratic lawmakers agreed the original bill went too far. The measure makes clear police can use force to stop people from fleeing temporary investigative detentions. That was one of the things that they said you had to have probable cause, which is a much higher degree of, uh, of proofs. Um, so therefore, if, if a police officer had a reasonable suspicion, which is what is, which is the uh, uh, every in every other jurisdiction in the in the country, by Supreme Court standards, that's the standard used. Would a reasonable is a reasonable suspicion? Um, officers said restrictions passed by lawmakers had left them unable to do so, meaning potential suspects could simply leave. Under the bill, police still must use reasonable care including appropriate, quote, de-escalation techniques, and they may not use force during Terry stops when the people being detained are compliant. Well, you wouldn't use force if someone's being compliant, right? Following the 2020s widespread protests for police accountability in the wake of George Floyd's incident, Washington lawmaker passed an array of reforms covering everything from background checks Officers undergo before they're hired to circumstances when they can be decertified. Um, but in essence, without going deep into the weeds on this, they realize that they screwed up, but they won't admit it. They won't admit it. They will now have to deal with it. And now they realize, oh my God, what are we going to do? So they roll back of the police reform. Um, so before I get into our... Uh, end of watch segment, which is where we close the show. Um, I want to tell you about a company that is doing uh, some amazing stuff for law enforcement. So for my active duty police officers and even retired, your privacy is part of your safety, right? Now, I didn't know this until uh, the retired police officer who owns and created OfficerPrivacy.com sat with me and explained how, how I, vulnerable I am and police officers are everywhere in the country to having your address discovered by internet searches. I, I had no idea how easy it is for someone who is, has ill will towards law enforcement, like Antifa, like uh, activists who want to dox you, uh, should your name come up, come up in, in some high-profile incident? Or maybe not even that. Maybe just uh, you had an interaction with somebody and they want to harm you. How do they do that? They find out where you live. 
They find out information about you. Officerprivacy.com. I urge you to go take a look at their website. And Pete James, who, who created it, uh, is, a, is a retired police officer. He's got the best plan, and it's not expensive to do, and it literally will make you safer and your family safer. So I urge you, go to officerprivacy.com. Check and see what they, what they have. And if you have any questions, give them a call because this is about officer safety. So officerprivacy.com. Check them out. At the end of this show, it is my duty as a former law enforcement officer and one who is actively involved in helping injured and disabled officers to um, eulogize the men and women who have made the ultimate sacrifice this week. The first is a police officer, Caleb D. Oglevy, Covington Police Department, Division of Police, Virginia. Police officer Caleb Oglevy was shot and killed while responding to a domestic call at a convenience store in Covington at 4.47 p.m. Uh, the Covington Division of Police and Allegheny County Sheriff's Office upon being alerted to the suspect's erratic behavior inside the store, immediately responded to the scene. As Officer Oglevy and an Allegheny County deputy arrived, the subject came out of the store armed with a pistol and opened fire on the officers. Officer Oglevy and the subject were both fatally wounded. Once the scene was secure, it was discovered the suspect had shot and killed a male relative inside the store. Officer Oglevy was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran served the Covington Division of Police for less than one year. He is survived by his wife and four children. Police Officer Caleb Oglevy, Covington Division of Police, Virginia. End of watch, Monday, March 14, 2022. Next is Deputy Sheriff Dominic Collada, Pierce County Sheriff's Department, Washington. Deputy Sheriff Dom Collada succumbed to gunshot wounds sustained the previous day while members of the Pierce County Sheriff's Department SWAT team attempted to serve an arrest warrant. SWAT team was assisting the South Sound Gang Task Force with serving the warrant. They were outside of the suspect's mobile home when the man opened fire on them. Deputy Collada and a sergeant were both shot and wounded before the subject was killed by return gunfire. Deputy Collada was a U.S. Army veteran and a Washington National Guard veteran. He served with the Pierce County Sheriff's for six and a half years. Uh, he is survived by his wife and four-year-old child. Deputy Sheriff Dominic Collada. Pierce County Sheriff's Department, Washington. End of watch, Wednesday, March 16, 2022. Police Officer Lane Burns, Monterre Police Department, Missouri. Police Officer Lane Burns was shot and killed at about 12.30 a.m. as he and another officer responded to a disturbance at the Motel 6. As the officers were approaching the motel room, a man exited, immediately opened fire on them with a handgun. Despite being wounded, both officers were able to return fire, killed the suspect. Officer Burns was transported to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. His partner was flown to a trauma center to undergo surgery for a gunshot wound. Officer Burns has served the Bonterre Police for five years. Previously served with the St. Francois County Sheriff's Office. He is survived by his nine-year-old daughter, five-year-old son, and fiance. Police Officer Lane Burns, Bonterre Police Department, Missouri. End of watch, Thursday, March 17, 2022. Sergeant Barbara Majors Fenley, Eastland County Sheriff's Office, Texas. Sergeant Barbara Fenley was killed while trying to evacuate residents during the rapidly moving Eastland Complex fires. She was going door to door in the Carbon area 
in an attempt to notify citizens to leave the area when the area became inundated with smoke and low visibility. Her patrol car drove off the roadway and became engulfed in fire. She is survived by her husband and three children. Sergeant Barbara Majors, Fenley, Eastland County Sheriff's, Texas, end of watch Thursday, March 17, 2022. Two troopers were also killed together. Trooper Brandon T. Siska, Trooper Martin F. Mack III, Pennsylvania State Police. Troopers Brandon Siska, <clears throat> Martin Mack were struck and killed by a suspected drunk driver in Philadelphia. They had responded to the area to investigate reports of a pedestrian walking along the interstate. They located the man who were assisting him into the back of one of their patrol cars when an approaching car drove by, attempted to pass the police vehicles by driving onto the shoulder and killed the officers. Trooper Brandon Siska, Trooper Martin Mack, Pennsylvania State Police, end of watch Monday, March 21st, 2022. May they rest in peace. If you want to help law enforcement, if you want to do something proactive, I urge you to go to the website, thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. Donate if you can. Make yourself aware of the plight of injured and disabled officers across the nation by just seeing what it is uh, the Wounded Blue does for injured and disabled officers across the nation. We've helped more than 14,000 in the last two and a half years. Um, if you want to contact me, I'm Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Follow me on Facebook at the Voice of American Law Enforcement and also the Wounded Blue. And uh, I thank you for taking the time to join us here again today on another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. This is Randy Sutton. Thank you.